Listener Production. Hello, it's Antoinette Latouf hosting The Weekend Briefing. And today I catch up with Mark Fennell. And Mark Fennell is a man that has squeezed a hell of a lot into his career, despite not even being 40 yet. This includes writing books and cementing himself as a respected film critic in his late teens and early 20s, and more recently hosting shows on the ABC and SBS, stuff like The Feed, right through to Stuff the British Stole. He even managed to make a captivating podcast series about finding the world's hottest chilli. He's excellent at telling stories. He's excellent at asking questions. And in today's weekend briefing, I get to ask Mark a bunch of questions. And he gets really honest about what he loves about his job. Of course, he's had plenty of wins, but also some of the mistakes he's made that have forever changed his trajectory. Also in today's episode, our wonderful producer, Helen Smith, joins me for the weekend list where we recommend what to watch, what to see, what to do and eat and listen to. It includes zucchini. It includes combating chip addictions. But first, here is my chat with Mark Fennell, where I get to ask the master of asking questions some of my own questions. Mark me and the world know a lot about you. <laughs> you like to cook, you have a wonderful wife, two kids, you make excellent television and podcasts, and after a 20-year career in the media, you've evolved from a young dude with a questionable haircut <laughs> oh, brutal. to one with a far sleeker hairdo. <laughs> but what is one thing about Mark Fennell that most people don't know? Uh, I'm probably the least qualified person within a 12-kilometre radius to do most of the things that I do. Like, I have no university <laughs> degree. I dropped out after two months. I was like, I've made a terrible decision. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna take a gap here, <laughs> right? Um, so what I did was I, I designed websites by day and mm. I had this plan that I was going to be a web designer by day and a film critic by night. I don't know, and a filmmaker by night. Right. right. Don't ask me why I had the day-night separation. Okay. Makes no sense. World's most mediocre superhero. But I came across a community radio station in, in Sydney called FBI and I said, hey, I can... Uh, I, I'm really inter- interested in movies. I can review movies. Also, I can uh, do graphic design. And they kind of taught me radio from scratch, right? All media from scratch, to the point where I'd taken this year and I'd gotten into a university degree. What was the university degree, though? Oh, the university degree was media and communications. Okay, right. and you dropped out? After, after about two months. Okay. Yeah, because I got a job in television. <laughs> So I was 18 years old. Uh, I'd, I'd taken a year off. I'd gotten into university. So you're uh, a fake journalist. I'm an absolutely fake journalist. And then I got this, um, I started a media communications degree. It was great. And then uh, I, I sort of got slight, I guess you'd call it slightly headhunted. Yes. Like I was 18 years old and uh, I the David and Mark, do you remember David and Mark yes. from the movie show? Yes, They uh, had announced with big fanfare that they were going to leave SBS and go to the ABC and SBS rushed a show to air because they, they wanted to be on air first. And they hired all these other people and I they asked me to send in a, an audition. And my first thought is like no one's going to watch the movie show without David and Margaret. In retrospect, I was right. Um, but I, <laughs> I went, I sent in, I did this audition tape and I went in, I sat in David's so you, chair. But, but you'd been a, a film critic for what, six months? Yeah, I was doing movie reviewing at, at a community radio station for oh, maybe almost a year. And then suddenly I was, I got this job on television and I, I deferred university, but I never went back. But to, to be fair, whether some people looking at you going, what does this teenager know about film? How, how much film has he consumed to be an expert on film? Absolutely fair. Absolutely yeah. fair. Um, um, 
criticism. The thing I did do for for that that show though is I did a little segment just about cult movies, and so in that mm. sense, every week was kind of an education. Like every week I'd have to go off and find a new genre or a director and I'd have to learn and sort of regurgitate it out. And actually when I think about it now, it's actually not a bad top-line descriptor of what being a journalist is. Because in most cases you get sent off and you go, I don't know much about home loans or stock market. And then you have to quickly digest and and sort of regurgitate and synthesise in a way that makes sense to people that also Mm. largely don't know about said topic. And I think there's something to that. So we're all that. fakers. We're all fakers. That's what I tell myself <laughs> anyway. Uh, I don't know how convincing that is as an argument though. Well, you went from movie critic to interviewer to podcaster. Now you make television series. In your time in the media, what has changed most profoundly? Because there have been a lot of changes in the press in the past 20 years. I mean, the two things that stand out to me, it's a lot easier to get started now. Like when I began in the early 2000s, many years ago, uh, you know, podcasting wasn't a thing, for example. Like I remember being there for the beginning of podcasting and now I think about how easy it is to get a microphone or or to, you know, or to get a phone and make TikToks, right? Like Mm. all of that was, it was really hard. Now the, the barriers of entry are quite rightly low. So you have incredible people coming from all walks of life, making great content on TikTok, making great podcasts. And I think that I, like some people complain about that there's a glut of content. I like it because I do think the more voices that feed into the the content that we make, the better. And I look at what my kids consume and it's uh, genres that didn't exist 10 years ago. Like it's, it's, um, you know, very loud Americans playing video games on YouTube. Why? Or opening, oh, opening, opening toys. toys. Oh my That is crazy Lord that that is, that goes off on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, my, my daughter's mad for it. And I'm, yeah. my, my wife and I are sometimes like, is this, is this good? Yeah. And we're like, <laughs> we're professional media makers. We're like, is this a problem? It feels like a problem. Yeah, probably a problem. So I think that's changed. And look, the other thing I will say is um, the Australian media, when I started, honestly, I mean, it didn't look like you and I. Right. And I, you know, credit where it is due in the last 10 years, Mm. I think the Australian media commercial public community has done a much better job of actually representing the country that it talks Mm. to. So we're talking about not just diversity of skin, diversity of ideology, talking about age ranges as well. You know, there's obviously more work to be done. No one would question that. But I will say that you know, in the years when you and I started to yeah. now, it's like, it's it's been an incredible development. And I, you know, I joke often that there's like eight brown people that are allowed to host Australian television shows. And it's it's not true. There's, there's at least nine. But, <laughs> but, but, but it has but, improved. But before it was one. <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was one. And God they, bless Lee Lynch. Yeah, and they, they, were, they were one and they were on SBS. Um, so I think that's been a lovely thing to to kind of witness and I guess to some extent be a part of. And, you know, it's not to suggest that there isn't massive improvements that, that can still be done in terms of making sure that Australia's media looks like Australia. Yeah, absolutely. But I think there's been a lot of a lot of positive development and I think, you know, it's good to point out progression as mm. well when it, when it has happened in front of us in, in real time. Another development is that you recently, pretty recently, made the decision that you don't want to have an opinion <laughs> in the media or online. How did that come about? I had some, it was a few things, right? So uh, I, generally speaking, I don't have opinions in public. Partly is because I moved into doing a job that was journalism. And I like, I think, actually, it's not that I like, I think it's important 
that I can walk into any room with any group of people and they don't have a preconceived notion about what I think of them, what I think of their situation, because my job at its core is to listen, not to talk, which is the irony of me doing this, right? I'm rabbiting <laughs> on about himself. But my job is to listen, right? Like if you boil, like I make documentaries and podcasts and things like that. My job is to ask questions and then listen. When I was younger, I was actually hired for my opinion. When, as a film critic, I yes. was hired for my opinion and that was fine. But I've also, over time, as I have spent more time, you know, whether I'm talking to torture survivors or celebrities or, you know, per a person eating the world's hottest chilli or a person, who, you know, who's British, who may or may not have stolen stuff from around the world, <laughs> whatever. Like the point is, the more time I spend listening to people, the more I'm convinced that I know very little and my time is better spent absorb, creating environments where I can listen to other people and arrange those ideas and arrange those, their thoughts in a way that uh, an audience will digest. As to how it came about, partially it's the fact that I am, I am, you know, my job is journalism now. I've had some rough experiences and I've witnessed some people having rough experiences. I mean, the obvious examples are Yasmin Abdel-Majid, Yumi Steins. I, I was sort of around for when they were the subject of big, big media media storms and I've accidentally said the wrong thing on, on television shows in the past and, and been at the centre of that and I was just like, oh, my word, I do not want to be part of this. Like it doesn't, it doesn't benefit, it, it doesn't benefit Is me. Is it because you've been frightened from having an opinion? Oh, I mean, I've <laughs> had death threats and things like that. Like, yeah. And I'm not going to pretend like that stuff doesn't have an impact but it, it also, it kind of sits within a broader series of decisions, right? So, mm. you know, it's very easy, like if you're a good communicator and you're you're around, it's very easy to get on these sort of panel shows uh, and sort of, you know, fill the air with your opinions. And 99.9% .9 of the time it'll be fine, but every once in a while you'll say something and it'll be an accident. You'll say something yeah. and it'll blow up in your face. And I've had that happen. And I just made a decision that that wasn't a great use of airtime. But is, is it hard to just be a storyteller when you have a social profile? There seems to be an expectation that you'll use your profile yes. for good. You must be getting messages. Do you Tons. get messages? Yeah, I'm what getting... about this? And how come you're silent on this? Absolutely. And why aren't you weighing in on this? Absolutely. I mean, particularly what's happening in the last 12 months, I mean, the two big things obviously being The Voice and what's unfolding in Gaza. I absolutely have personal feelings about both those things. I really do. And and I have contacts in those areas. And what I do is I make sure the people that I know in those areas, I use whatever contacts I can to make sure that they have an avenue to get their voice out. But as hard as it is, I'm, if I've made a decision to not talk about one thing, if I start talking about mm. one thing, it, it, then it's the next thing is like, well, you talked about that, but why won't you talk about this? It's really difficult. Mm. And it may turn out in a couple of years time, I change my mind. I'm like, you know what? This is such a ridiculous problem. I have to talk. It may turn out that I change my yes. mind, but for now, what I do is um, when I have contacts in certain places that have something to say, if I don't have a show to put them on, I connect them with other shows so sure. that they can. Some people will call it cowardice. In fact, people have slipped into my DMs and called it cowardice. But there is nothing wrong with sticking journalistically to just storytelling. There is journalism. There is, you know, what I, I do a lot of social commentary, hmm. I write columns, opinions are part of what I do. Um, but that's not for everybody. Not everybody is a columnist. Not no. everybody is a social commentator. Not everybody has multiple television shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I, so there is a pressure, and I understand it, to do everything on every medium all the time. And at some point, even I ask myself, what is the best use of my time? What is the best use of my skills? Yeah, and I look, for what it's worth, I, I think... From my, as a as a friend and as a consumer of your media, I think you use it very well. There's a, quite a few people who I think use it really well. And I think 
it, it is a choice. It, it is a choice that won't please everybody, but at the end of the day, there's only so many hours in the day and I'm using a lot of them at the moment because I've, you know, I spent a quarter, almost a third of the year around the world filming this year yeah. and I'm home and when I'm home, I'm like, I'm going to pick up and drop off my kids from school yeah, where I, when I can. I can't always do it because my wife will listen to this and she'll be like, uh, you say that, but you couldn't do last Friday. So, you know what, I'm going to use the time that I yeah. can to, do, to make what I'm proud of and to be as present with my kids as I possibly can, which is you know, pretty limited at the moment. That's a very specific shout out for my wife who will listen to this. Absolutely. And look, I'm going to ask you this question because it is often asked of successful women. How do you manage it all given that you have children and a family? Um, I don't. And, and no one person manages it all. Like there's a, my wife, I remember my wife came home with a book by Anne-Marie Slaughter a couple of years ago. And I think uh, I'm going to paraphrase her. It was this argument like, you can have it all, but you can't have, have it, all it all at the same, once, all yeah. at once. Yeah. And I, I may be, I may be misappropriating that quote, but there's two things. One, my output doesn't exist without the very good grace of my kids, mm-hmm. my in-laws and my wife. They are the ones that allow me to go do these things. And it is every time I go make, you know, the next season of stuff, the British Dolls is shot in 11 countries, right? And then it'll come out next year. Like that is part of a negotiation where we have to sit down and go, is this worth it? Yeah. Is it, and, and, you know, like invariably, Obviously, we've come down to it is worth it, but it comes at a cost, and that cost is not just borne by me, you know, randomly out there breaking his ankle in front of, you know, in sand dunes, right? That cost is borne by them, and it's borne by her, and it's borne by an extended family who help support it, right? Mm. It's funny, I, I've just come back from filming for a week for, for a new series, and just before I left, my daughter, who's seven, she's like, Daddy, when you're away, we're going to go to the pet store and buy a leash so you can't keep escaping. <laughs> Which was like, oh, my God. Oh. It was like equal parts adorable, cheeky and heartbreaking. Oh, my gosh. Like, the Jesus guilt. Christ. But, you know, and it's it's hard. Like, I, and and, it, and, I, and I, it is hard on all of us. I, the only thing I will say is when I am home, I do try to be as normal as possible, like pickups and drop-offs and, you know, picking up. But it's really imperfect. Like, and, and anyone that pretends like they're doing it by themselves they must be delusional, right? Because, because you know, either you have paid support or family support. That's the only way. Or a to... wonderful wife called Maddie. Oh, or well, no, I mean, if that was that, I've put that into family support. But like, <laughs> but like, it's just not as easy as I think people mm. think it is, and it's not a singular like. Like, I work hard. I don't sleep very much. I'm I'm working at opposite, you know, in the night when people are asleep, but. To kind of talk about that is to kind of do a disservice to the effect of those around you. Mm. And it is imperfect and it's a constant negotiation and, and you know, th- we agree to things and then we're like, oh, no, that was too much. Or you pass on things and you're like, oh, maybe I could have. And, but yeah. this is all what it is. And and it, I think it's part of being a grown-up, it's part of being a parent, it's part of being in a, in a relationship, which is, a, is, which is itself a constant negotiation, right, about... Um, you know, what are our boundaries? And I don't know, I'm being a bit, bit sort of generic about it, but I think... No, but you're being honest and talking about that it's hard. It's hard. And, and it and comes it's hard with sacrifice. And yeah. I want to talk about stuff the British stole because season two comes out next year. Like, is there a picture of you at UK airports? <laughs> no. Like, do not let this bloke in. He... <laughs> Every time I go, I'm like, I'm waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. And I've been in and out of the UK a lot in the last year for, for both, you know, for, for holidays and to film stuff at British Dolan. Every time I pass through security, I'm like, 
will this be the time? Yeah. They finally say. Uh, even actually going into places like the British Museum, I walked in and was like, come on. Someone's going to crash tackle you. Come no. on, crash tackle you. No, they, they're um, the British... I mean, two things I'll say. Firstly, I love the UK. I've loved the UK since I was a child. I have this weird situation where I feel wonderfully at home in London, but at the same time, I've managed to make this empire of, you know, podcasts and TV shows that are kind of like quietly shitting on their legacy. Not without good reason, I will say, though. But um, I am surprised at a few things with the reaction to that show. Firstly, I'm surprised it got as big as it did, Mm. uh, both as a podcast and as a TV show. But the other thing is... The British, like the biggest audience that that the podcast has, is in America. Second to that is is Australia, and then the UK. And I get a lot of the ideas for the show actually come from people that work at British mm. museums. Like they slip into the DMs. They, yeah, right. yeah, they're like, we've got this thing, and we think it might be a bit dodgy. Can you uh, look into it? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love the accent. Yeah, thank you. I, I've been working hard on that. Um, <laughs> and so I, you know. I have a really interesting relationship with those places because they they tend not to talk. Mm-hmm. Like we always oh, we always ask like, hey, can you talk about this? Um, and their only real leverage is that they they won't talk and they won't let us film. And I think they think that that will stop something from happening. Yeah, it does it not. No, and it's like I actually think for the institutions that have come up and talked about the stuff in their collections that may be a bit on the dodgy side, I think they look great. Most people that work at museums are great people that are interested in knowledge and mm. ideas, right? And it, there's no harm in them going, yeah, we think it's h- how we got it was like this. We can change the way we talk about it like this. Not every object needs or necessarily should be returned. Yes. Every object has its own story. So personally, I feel like museums and galleries, particularly in the UK, would do better to just like front up talk about their collection and 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 be part of the discussion because it's happening around them whether they mm. like it or not. That tight-lipped British style isn't working for them. I don't think so. I look I think I think we hide a lot of history behind politeness. Mm. You know, like and I think it is particularly noticeable in in UK institutions that they hide behind politeness. And they probably don't view it as hiding. They just view it as politeness. So I'm like it's hiding because when you dig into the history of any of the objects we've covered, what you find is invariably a messy, sometimes ugly, often conflicting story. Mm. And I think the lesson I've learned from making stuff the British style is that the audience is ready and prepared and can accept complicated stories about our history. In fact, they want it. So why not just be honest? Like, honestly, if if museum plaques were just a bit more honest about how they got stuff and the true history of their objects, I wouldn't have a show. And that's okay. I'll go on to do something else. I want to talk to you about interviewing. You're an incredible interviewer. What is it that you think is lacking in, in that arena because a lot of people are talking mm. but perhaps there's not a lot of listening. Are we not asking the right questions? Are we going in with preconceived notions or is it, or is it to your earlier point that too often you know what a journalist thinks about something before they've asked you a question? That is an excellent question. My job was when I did the feed for sort of nine years, I did profile interviews mostly with mm. either sometimes very famous people or sometimes just everyday people with amazing lives and it's been interesting because I the the feed I did that that show for many years is has ended and I've actually been taking clips of it and just posting it on TikTok and seeing how people respond to it and it's been interesting seeing like a whole new audience 
watch those interviews of like, you know, Tom Cruise and Jamie Lee Curtis and Jennifer Lawrence all over again. And I've, I've been looking at them anew. And one thing that has stood out to me uh, is just giving people space, just giving people space to, to fill because often they fill it with really interesting things. Mm. So I always said with, with any kind of interviewing, it always comes down to time right? You either have mountains of time beforehand to research and find this one little thing that they said this one time in one interview in 1998, and then you go and you dive into it and you expand it, or you have time in the room to follow the pathway and find something that you've never found before. Now, with famous people, you never have the latter, so you've got to do the former. Mm. You've got to dig around and find something. But then when you're in the room, it's still important to kind of create a space where people feel comfortable sharing. Like I, one thing I have noticed going back and watching all those interviews uh, that I've posted on TikTok is I have a tendency to shrink. Mm. Like when I'm talking to somebody and, you know, it's, it's very similar to this room. Like you've got a bunch of cameras around you. As somebody's talking, if they go small and they go quiet, I would... <laughs> Literally start shrinking further. If, yeah, because like I'm, I'm, I'm not a tall person, but I'm kind of wide, right? And so mm. I understand, like, for some people that, you know, particularly with men, like, I don't want to create a, a, a dominate. I don't physically dominate environment, so I will often find myself kind of shrinking <laughs> to create space for them to become bigger. Um, and I think the stuff that I most enjoy in terms of profile interviewing is where people, with their body language with their, their eyes, they create an environment where the cameras fall away and you can just, you can see the person they're interviewing fall into the moment. I mean, there's, I mean, the, the, probably the best recent example in terms of television would be Zan Rose Take 5 on the mm-hmm. ABC. I think she's marvellous. And everything about that show just creates an environment where people just start to flow out of themselves. To come back to the core of your question, I think what's, what's missing or maybe not so much missing, but but we could do more of, is space. Mm. Space in the conversation, space in the moment, and recognising that listening is an act of generosity, right? It is you kind of sitting back and going, let's see where they go and hope to God they take it somewhere interesting because it doesn't always happen that way, yeah. as we know. Yeah, so it's a bit of a sort of a slightly woo-woo answer. I pay. No, no, no. <laughs> and I, I think it's important to point out the difference between a profile piece in which you can be generous and creative and follow the talent to something where it is accountability as a politician. Yeah. And then thirdly, where you know you need to arrive at a point. There are yeah. diff- very different purposes for different interviews. But my final question is there are times when I have flicked between SBS and ABC <laughs> and I see you on both. Like how much Mark Fennell is too much Mark Fennell? I, I think currently is probably too much Mark <laughs> I, I, I take the, yeah, it's interesting because I, you know, I work a lot on different things and um, I do them, I don't do them all at the same time. Yes. But this last year an, an interesting thing happened where a few things came out too close to each other. This is a very first world problem where I think people are in their right to get sick of me. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't blame people for getting I'll sick of me. I'll never get sick of you, Mark. I love seeing what you create. I love chatting to you and I love learning from you. So thank I, you for I your time. I love learning from you too. This has been lovely. Thank you for having me. That was Mark Fennell, broadcaster, storyteller, all-round legend who will have more treats for our eyes and ears in 2024. <laughs> Now it's time for the weekend list and I'm loving these chats and tips with Helen Smith. I actually tried that mango dipped. The dark chocolate? Yes, dried. the one 
The dried mango, dried mango dipped in dark chocolate in Aldi. Thank you for that recommendation. So good. I I did I did really enjoy I was skeptical at first, but I did enjoy it. So um what do you have yeah. in store for us this week? So my first recommendation is an episode from Do You Fucking Mind. Now, you interviewed Alexis the other yes. week. Yeah, loved it. So good. I loved that chat. But the episode is six ways to boost your self-esteem. Yeah, great. And I thought, hmm. I I love that. Yeah, yeah. We can always boost ourselves a little bit more. So the tips that I really liked from it, I, I chose two tips out of the six. Mm-hmm. The first one is to provide value for others and perform good deeds. Oh, I like that because when I first heard six ways to boost your self-esteem, I thought it was very self-self, mm. like what do you do for yourself? But um, what Alexis is suggesting is that you actually feel better when you do good for others. Yeah. And and she talks about like the connection that you have with others because we're in this such a social media online world and we're like, mm. you know, they always say, oh, we're more connected than we We've ever been before. But, but we're not. We're not really. We're yeah. really not. Like liking that post of your friend or sending them a funny meme. She talks about this. It's not really a genuine connection. It's, mm. you know, you can be all connected, but the thing with being a person of value or providing value for others, it then in turns creates this value for yourself and it can also help you kind of find a purpose. Mm. And I thought that was a great tip because the same. I thought, oh, I would never have thought that is going to boost myself. And then the second tip that I really loved was do something every single day to do something for your brain and your mind. So feeding your brain, kind of like, you know, we might go to the gym or work on our body, but doing brain exercises or treating your brain, she used this really good analogy, treating our brains like a child's, like looking after a child or your kid or, or a niece or someone. Right, and cultivating it. So does that mean like Sudoku or something? Yeah, it could be like Sudoku or it could be even just speaking to yourself in a nice way, like treating your brain like you would for a child or trying to teach them, you know, your brain is a sponge. They always say that when mm. you're little, your brain is a sponge, but you're still learning throughout your whole life. It's kind of that way of boosting yourself. You can always better yourself through... Yeah, treating your brain and your mind okay. in a nice way, I guess. I yeah. like that. Very productive. Mine's a little less productive and much more <laughs> selfish. I'm doing anything and my tip is well, I'm trying to curtail my chips addiction. So I'm like the chippy monster. Um, yeah. like the, you know, but even the cookie monster now tells kids on Sesame Street that yeah. cookies are a sometimes food. But for me, chippies isn't always food. Um, and so what I'm trying is anything else that is crunchy and salty that can mm. substitute it. So I'm trying popcorn, yeah. beetroot chips, wasabi sticks, everything else. Sometimes oh, wow. it works. And there are, thankfully, in the supermarket, more aisles of alternatives. Mm. Um, Sometimes it works and sometimes all it does is it means that I eat the wasabi crisps and then Mm. a party-sized packet of Doritos um, straight afterwards. (laughs) So I am trying to, I am trying to manage that, but I do want to make the case for beetroot chips don't taste as revolting as they sound. Yeah, when you said that, I did think, what? But, uh, okay. Yeah, it is. Check it out in the health food section, which thankfully is growing at your supermarket. And now I buy Mm. just everything and and slowly it is helping me with my chips addiction. That's good. Have you ever got those big packets of the popcorn? The sweet and salty popcorn or the plain yes. salty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get those. Mm, and I make popcorn I, love at, those. I make popcorn at home. I'm oh. just trying because I love the crunch. I love popcorn's salt. Popcorn's really good for you. 
Yes, provided Ish. you don't. Yes, provided <laughs> it's not the microwave type, which yes. has lots of butter if mm-hmm. it's homemade. Yeah, um, it's actually, yeah. yeah. So curtailing chip addiction is my tip. What else do you have? <laughs> so my second recommendation is food as well. It's a recipe. So this one is, I, I sound like a child, but I always try and squeeze in veggies in my meals mm-hmm. without knowing, like tricking myself. Oh, that's <laughs> strange, but I continue. Know, I, I mean, I am making the food, but... You know what? <laughs> like, how did that zucchini get I'm in like, there? Wow, this is healthy. <laughs> yeah, but I I do that all the time. I blend up food or put it in pasta or whatever, whatever. But this is a super green soup. Not its proper name, but that's the name for it. Yeah, super green soup and. It's really easy. You can make it in bulk and you can freeze it as well. So all it has is zucchinis, peas, which can be frozen. Yeah. Spinach also can be frozen, cheaper as well. Yeah. Um, shallots, chicken or vegetable stock, ginger, herbs. I always go with parsley and coriander, but you can yeah, kind nice. of add whatever you want. Um, and lime juice. Oh. Yeah, I know. It's it's good. Um but the extras that I also add sometimes are leek and potatoes to kind of give it a creamier vibe. And it look, it sounds a bit like, oh, yuck, but it's really good and healthy and you feel really like energized and you're like, oh, so healthy. I mean, you can have like I always have. But like, does it fill you up? My big thing that's is what I was does just going to say. It actually does if you add. Um, leek or eat potato a, yeah. or Yeah, and also if you just eat a lot, like because yeah. it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with eating like so much of this, like yeah. soup, because it's, it's good for you. Um, but yeah, you can always have like a bread roll with it or even sometimes if I want a bit more protein, I'll make those little English McMuffin mini pizzas yeah. and put chicken on top and just have that to the side. But yeah, if you want more veggies, and this is green veggies. that I'm willing to uh, yeah. try this recipe. I'm also willing to try to see if I can be surprised by the vegetables of something that I prepared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's, that's the, the real secret. <laughs> Blend all the veggies up and you'll be like, oh my God, what? <laughs> How did this get in here? I am loving John Bernard Keane. He's a TikToker and comedian. Um, and But specifically his content that includes clips with his ethnic grandma, Salma. She is Absolutely hilarious. I think she should own the internet. Um, so I suggest you visit his page and check out anything he does with his grandma. She's foul-mouthed. She always cigarette in her in her hand. She's up for anything. I love her. She's sometimes offensive, but she's freaking hilarious. Um, so yeah, John Bernard Keane, his grandmother, Salma. There is a master chef send-up where she's cooking something which is hilarious um, when John Bernakeen is playing the role of the judge and she's not very happy with his feedback, so tries to bribe him with some money and then swears in Arabic at him, at the judge. It's hilarious. <laughs> Salma for the win. I think we need more hilarious 80-year-olds on TikTok. We definitely do. I love all the grandma or the mum and, like, kid duos. I feel like they're just great. And they always, you're always just like, that is so my mum or that is so my family. Yeah. And I feel like it's, yeah, I love those unifying little things. And Helen, of course, we know the festive season is upon us. What else do you have? So I have a hack for wrapping paper. So it's a cheap one. So if you don't have wrapping paper lying around and you're like, oh, my God, I need to wrap this present ASAP, here are some alternatives that you could use that might just be lying around your house. One of them is obviously newspaper. Mm. But another one that I really like is the paper grocery bags that you get from, you know, Aldi or Woolies or Coles that you might have bought, you know, Mm. those 15 cents paper bags. Just cut them up and wrap your present in that. Easy. And then I also thought another one is 
old clothes that you might be donating, like an old t-shirt or even like an old tea towel or something that you can just repurpose and wrap a present in that. And hey, someone's going to get a free t-shirt as well. I have a Christmas recommendation um, and it's watching back-to-back atrocious Christmas movies because it is the season for Christmas movies with plot lines that are like as fresh as last year's fruitcake and I'm obsessed with them even though I know they're terrible. I can't stop watching them. Um, And yes, like does every Christmas movie have the same plot like the – Alexa, the corporate hotshot, returns to her humble hometown and then she falls in love with the local mechanic. Am I still going to act surprised? Yes, because I just can't stop watching these mind-numbingly atrocious, quickly made, horrendously acted Christmas movies. I love that one. We all need a bit of the cheesy, cheesy Christmas movies in our lives, I think. Yeah, and I reckon if you're trying to figure out which one to watch, look for ones where the names are like terrible puns. Like there's one that I flipped on the other day simply because it sounded like a toddler with a lisp came up with a name because it's called called Merry Christmas. And I was like, that's it. That's the most offensively titled, horrendously titled movie. I'm watching that one. We also want to hear from you. What is it that you're listening to? What are you watching? What are you reading? Maybe you also trick yourself into eating more vegetables. Uh, Send us a message at The Briefing Podcast on Instagram. You can also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Review us. Tell us what you thought about this chat with Mark Fennell. We also welcome general compliments. Always happy to hear from you. But that is it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want more of the weekend briefing, you can find us on the Listener app. You can download the Listener app in the App Store and you can follow us there. Otherwise, you can follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Tom and the team are back on Monday with all the big news and, as always, the interesting deep dives. Please be kind to yourself and one another. Listener.